Oh, welcome to Olivet Community Church. It is so good to be together. Whether you're visiting with us online for the first time, whether you're an old friend from maybe Seattle or Southern California, Texas, even, even Southern France, um, the peace of Christ be with you. These have, been, these have been challenging times, but we're trusting that as we, by faith, gather together to worship the living God, that he will meet us and he will provide for all of our needs. Hey, if you're um, watching online, you could do a couple things that would help us. Um, you might just like the video that you're watching and other people then will be made aware that it's, that it's out there. Um, you also can um, text your name to the number at the bottom of the screen. And uh, if there's something going on in the life of your family, something you'd like to share with us, um, prayer that you need or rejoicing and praises that you want to share with others, uh, we just invite you to do that. Just a reminder that um, we are now over in our new facility. Uh, later in the service, I'll pan the room so you can see the sanctuary that we were worshiping in a few moments ago and, and that I'm speaking to you from. But um, our uh, older facility is, uh, is being prepared now for the new guests and uh, if you would like to be a part of that, uh, preparing that, then check in with Kristen or I. We'd love to help you know how you can pitch in and help us with this transition. Well, uh, we are continuing our series. We actually began last Sunday on Easter Sunday. We're calling it, We Believe. And we're using as the centerpiece of this series, the Apostles' Creed. And I know that um, many of us uh, shy away when we hear the word creed or confession. Today we're going to explore a little bit how important they are, and especially this particular one is. But I invite you first here to think deeply about, now not the creed, but the object of the creed. The Father Almighty, Jesus Christ, His only Son and the Holy Spirit. Join with us, would you?
from Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his great glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Testament passage today comes from the book of Acts. And I invite you to turn with me there in your Bibles or if you're using your phones to open up your phones to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Chapter 16. And follow along, would you, as I read it for you. Beginning at verse 25, Paul, who has been in Philippi and uh, preaching the word of God, who has been planting a church there, who's been making disciples like Lydia, who make disciples. Paul, who's been so engaged in the gospel in this new region of Macedonia and the city of Philippi, has now um, been jailed for his faith. And I would just note again that the people all over the world who boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ many times, oftentimes, suffer as a result. But we're going to pick up his story in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his suffering around verse 25 of Acts chapter 16. He is in jail with Silas. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. 
And immediately all the prison doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Isn't that incredible? And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. I should press pause for a second and say he was responsible for them. If they escaped, that meant his life. But Paul, picking up the story again in verse 28, cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. And he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that incredible? When, when we're faithful, trusting God and not our own abilities, when we're faithful to God, it reveals to those who are watching the greatness of our God. What must I do? to be saved, he said. And Paul and Silas said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And, and he, the jailer, was baptized at once, he and all his family. And he brought Paul and Silas into his house and he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Sing when I win, I can sing. 
privilege to open God's Word together, to think deeply about what it is that we believe. Two powerful words, aren't they? I believe. That's where the word creed comes from, the Latin credo, or I believe, right? These two words are some of the most explosive words any human being can utter. They open doors for us. They open the door to eternal life. And they're the very foundation of the Christian faith. Belief stands as the very center of Christian faithfulness. Let me say that again. Belief, what you believe, stands at the very center of Christian faithfulness and is where Christianity begins. We enter the faith and we find eternal life in Christ by responding to the truth with trust, that is, with belief. So what is belief? It's trust. Yes, in, in propositional truth. It's trust in something you've heard. Do you remember last week as, as we recounted the story of those women at the tomb? They didn't see yet Jesus raised from the dead. They heard propositional truth. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is no longer here. He is risen, right? They heard this propositional truth and they put enough of their trust in it to take that word to the other disciples. So belief is trust in truth, that Jesus is the Christ. As Peter said, that he is the son of the living God, that Jesus Christ is the savior of sinners. We don't believe in a Christ of our imaginations. We don't manufacture a God and, and project our own desires on him. Have you ever done that? I found myself several times trying to make God in my image, to make him in a way that he's palatable for me. And every time I attempt to do that, God breaks out of the boxes I put him in. 
No, we don't believe in a Christ of our imaginations, but we believe in the Christ of Scripture, the Christ believe in, believed in by every generation of true Christians. And even beyond that, belief in Christ stands in belief that in everything that Jesus spoke, in everything that Jesus believed, in everything that he taught his disciples. Matthew recorded that Jesus instructed his disciples to teach others to observe all that he commanded them. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm getting so excited, my voice is cracking. Therefore, there is no Christianity without belief. Do you understand that? At some point, you have to take that step of faith. And there's no Christianity without teaching, in other words, the Word of God. And my point today is to say that there's no Christianity if we don't put His Word into practice. So, belief is trust, but it's more than trust in just propositional truth. Belief is in Jesus is trust in a person, in a person. You see, Jesus said, do you remember in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, he said. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, in John 8, 32, and you, speaking of us, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Isn't that incredible? Jesus, who is the truth, can be known by us and, and that truth will set us free. And then in one of his self-proclaimed job descriptions, and there's several in scripture, but in one of them, Jesus tells us why he came. He says in, in John 18, 37, for this purpose I was born. Isn't that amazing? This is why Jesus was born. For this purpose, he said, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth, to the truth. And everyone, he said, who is of the truth listens to my voice. So belief is putting your trust in, putting your faith in, putting your weight down on truth. The spoken truth, the written truth, the living truth of Jesus Christ. I'm smiling because I'm remembering again, remember the story of, of the person who was a tightrope walker and, and called us out basically he spoke to the crowd below him who was cheering and, and brought out a wheelbarrow and said, do you believe I can take this wheelbarrow across this tightrope? And, and everyone says, yeah, we believe, we believe. And then he said, who's willing to get in the wheelbarrow? Beloved, as we gather today, Jesus is inviting us to put our weight down on him. He's inviting us to get into the wheelbarrow that he and he alone controls. Oh my God, grant us that mustard seed, that little tiny gift of faith to believe in Jesus Christ. Well, I want to stop before we go any further and, and, and note just a, a vulnerability that I have and maybe if you're like me, you have as well. And that is to, that is to, to confuse sometimes the difference between 
believing and thinking and knowing. And I know I'm gonna fly in the face of, of what most of us have understood most of our lives about the relationship between those things. But risk it, would you? Risk following me for just a moment. You see, oftentimes we confuse thinking about something with believing it. We confuse, as we've talked so many times, intellectual assent. Yeah, I'll give you that with belief. But that's not a biblical understanding at all. In the Bible, when you believed something, you put your life on it. You staked your life on it. In other words, belief just wasn't an intellectual exercise. It was a physical response. That's why we need to move from our heads, if I can use uh, our modern analogies, to our hearts. Because we think about things with our heads. We give intellectual assent with our heads. But it's with our will, in other words, the heart in the Bible, that we respond and, and choose. And I wanna, I wanna invite you today, in the first week now of, of Eastertide, the, the first week where we've celebrated the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, as we begin the series and, and think deeply about what it is we believe, I wanna invite you to go further. I want you to make a conscious choice of your will. I want you to believe with all your heart not just with your mind. Yeah, I mentioned earlier that there's a third component, isn't it? It's one we often confuse as well with thinking. And, and, and we believe that if we think about something, then we know it. Um, but again, the biblical understanding of knowledge is an experience of. So where many of us today intellectually think about even the words of the Apostles' Creed, these profound truths that for 2,000 years have guided the Church of Jesus Christ. Well, many of us think about those things, not as many of us believe it, not as many of us put it into practice. And as a result, not as many as even claim to be followers of Jesus actually know him, or more importantly, are known by him. Now I gotta stop and pray for a second. God, as, as the rain falls on the roof here, even now, while we're opening your word, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall on us. Clar give us clarity, God. Clarify for us what is true. Grant us a vision of Jesus Christ and him alone today. And God, we'll believe that even as the rain cleanses the earth, your Holy Spirit will cleanse our hearts and allow us to know you, to experience you. Know we love you, God, and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I think um, what we're discovering is that what we believe matters. I know I use that word way too loosely most of us probably do. What we believe matters. In fact, I'm gonna go so far as to say, it's not just even a, a matter of life and death, it's a matter of eternal life and death. 
So where do we turn to know what to believe? Do we turn like so many of us do to the media? I'm pretty sure like me that you have discovered that that's not a worthy place to put your trust. Do we even turn to loved ones, uh, revered uh, members of our own community or, or even of our own family, but people who might not possibly have ever experienced the presence of God? Do we turn to them? I want to suggest that you can turn directly to the person of Jesus Christ. You can turn to him to know what, and I'm going to suggest later, even how to believe. Do you remember, speaking of resurrection, do you remember that story in John 11 when, when Jesus was coming to the tomb of his dear friend, having intentionally waited until Lazarus had passed away? He came to Bethany and came to the house of Lazarus' sisters, Mary and, and Martha. And we saw in our study that probably Mary was so brokenhearted she couldn't even come out to meet Jesus, but, but Martha did. And she said the word that then Mary would repeat a few moments later. She said, Jesus, if, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, Jesus, I know your presence changes everything. And she went on to say, even now, my heart is just broken with some of you this morning over loved ones we've lost in this difficult season, of people that we care about whose lungs are now damaged because of the virus, of, of people who are still sick or we've just heard have become sick as a result of the virus. And like Mary and Martha, our hearts are on the one hand broken, believing, God, you could have done something about this, right? But also believing that even now, whatever Jesus asks of God, God will do for him. Well, Jesus said those famous words to her that I believe he speaks to you and to me across the 2,000 years. Your brother, your sister, your dad, your husband, your wife, your friend will rise again. Sounds like a Sunday school response, doesn't it? And, and I think that Martha kind of took it that way. She says, yeah, yeah, I know, Jesus, that he will rise again in that resurrection in the last day. She knew her theology. She, she had heard what Jesus had said, but, but she missed the whole point because she hadn't put her weight down on that, because she hadn't entered into that story. And I'm not blaming her. She's in unbelievable grief right now. But because she hadn't entered into that story, she hadn't believed herself. She hadn't experienced the peace that comes as a result. So Jesus said these amazing words, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Amen. For many of us, our thoughts are going to our dear brother Stan, yet shall 
he live. But listen to this. Everyone who believes in me shall never die. And then, and then having given that astounding truth, having, having delivered it to his dear friend, Martha, he pushed her just a step further. He said, Martha, do you believe this? Now, keep in mind, she just said the propositional truth, right? She was thinking about the propositional truth, but Jesus pressed her to say, are you willing now to step in? Are you willing to get in the wheelbarrow? Are you willing to put your weight down on this truth? Listen to what she said. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. If you believe, would you say that with me? I don't, I'm recognizing what holy ground we're standing on. Because some of you are realizing for the very first time that you believe that. Say it after me. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ. Say that. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are coming into the world. Amen. Amen. Wow. Belief matters. And belief has an object. The person of Jesus Christ. The first place we turn when we need to know what to believe is to the person of Jesus Christ. But how do we know of Jesus? How do we know of his teachings? We turn also to the word of God, to the Bible, the written word. If Jesus was the living word of God, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1. If Jesus was the living word of God, then the Bible is the written word of God. It is the only sufficient source and rule of our faith. And the Christian reflex to turn to the Bible is always right. It's always right. And I realize that some of you are not at the same place, and that's okay. You are welcome here. Don't tune me out just because you're not yet at that place. Because I believe as you risk opening your heart to this possibility that the Bible alone is the unerring word of God, inspired, God-breathed, as Paul would tell Timothy, this God-breathed uh, aspect of his word, celebrated in, in Hebrews chapter 4 and 2 Timothy uh, uh, 3.16, as the, as the Bible becomes that living word to us, then we find a source, a truth. We find a foundation for our faith. We want to take it one step further and say, and we join our hearts with the hearts of myriad people who for 2,000 years have trusted what Jesus said, who have believed in and on him and then who have received the mantle that he gave them to be followers of his sent ones even of his 
to take his truth out into the world. Did you remember when Paul was writing those amazing words of Romans 10, 9 and 10? He said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he goes on to say, for it is with the heart, this, the center of our will, that one believes and has been pronounced and made right before God, right? But it is with the mouth when we say it, when we speak truth out loud that we are saved. So we turn to Jesus Christ, but we also turn to this written word for our source of truth, for our, the locus of our belief. Now here's the problem. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. There are 66 books comprising between 750 and 800,000 words. It's easy for me to say, I believe what the Bible says. And, and oftentimes when I ask people, what do you believe? They will, they will say, I believe what my church believes. And, and, and I'll say, what does your church believe? And they'll say, I believe, they believe what the Bible believes. And, and I'll have to say, I'm not trying to be rude. I'll have to say, what does the Bible believe? And, and they're stuck at that point. That's, that's why we turn to the person of Jesus. We turn to the written word of Jesus, but we also turn to our creeds and our confessions, right? The New Testament in the book of Jude refers to authentic Christianity as the faith, not my faith, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's Jude, verse 3, right? Real Christianity is Christianity that rests on truth, a faith of definite beliefs cherished by believers throughout the ages and, as Jude said, once for all given to the, to the church. So this is one of the great wonders of Christianity and explains why all true Christians hold to the same essential beliefs and have done so for 2,000 years. As Christians, we believe what the, the sent ones, the apostles believed. And we wanna hand that same faith to the next generation. The apostle Paul said several times, that which I have received, I give to you. That's the faith. So, so how do we encapsulate the faith? Praise God, people have done that for us. In, in our particular tradition, we're evangelical Presbyterians. In our particular tradition, we, we recognize the Westminster Confession and Catechisms as the expression, a summary of what those uh, 1,100 chapters, almost 1,200 chapters of the Bibles say. In other words, we take 12,000 words and, and summarize 800,000 with them. It's interesting to me as I was researching this that the two books of the Bible that are the most clear expression of what we believe are Romans and Ephesians probably. And there's just about 12,000 words in those two books as well. 
So the Westminster Confession uh, expresses, summarizes, puts together in one place the core things that we believe. And the beautiful thing about the catechisms, and I apologize if that brings up bad thoughts or images for you, but catechism simply is a formation tool. It's simply a teaching tool. It asks a question and invites a response. Remember the, the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of humanity, right? To to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The, the summation of all the Bible is encapsulated in that question. But, but the Westminster Confession, the catechisms are still much more than most of us can wrap our brains around. Here then is the beauty of the Apostles' Creed. It's 110 words in 12 simple articles. It's probably the earliest creed that we currently have in our possession. It wasn't written by the apostles. It's written for the apostles. It's written for those who will take the truth of God's word and take it to a world that so desperately needs it. But it encapsulates the fundamental truths that have been passed down to followers and sent ones of Jesus for 2,000 years. There are other creeds, there are other confessions, there are other summations, and each one of them is beautiful in their own sins. But they all are trying to do the thing that we're gonna, we're gonna summarize with the Apostles' Creed. They're trying to put in as simple as possible a statement of what we believe. Now real quickly, that statement is important because it's an articulation of the truth. It's an articulation of the truth. This, with, with beautiful clarity, is truth. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. It articulates truth, but it not only articulates truth, it, it protects us from error. In fact, it goes a step further, it corrects our errors. I can say to you something off the wall. I'm tempted to say all kinds of strange things, but you can easily go then now to, to these 110 words and cross-check. Did that ring true with what the church has always understood scripture to say? And you can say, help me understand, Pastor Dave, where you're getting that from. Help me understand. So it's an articulation of the truth. It's, it's correction for what is false, but this is so beautiful. It's also formation for our souls. As we even say the words, our souls and the souls of all those around us are being drawn into alignment together. And, and we are made into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, so belief matters, right? And, and in, in the Apostles' Creed, we find out what we are to believe. But in a sense, also, we find out in the very articulation of the Apostles' Creed how we are to believe as well. Because just like what we believe matters, how we believe matters. What do we do? 
We speak what is true. We say it together. I want to invite you to do that right where you are right now. Let's say the Apostles' Creed together. And, and if out of respect for the truths that it encapsulates and, and the lives of countless brothers and sisters who've gone before us, would you actually stand where you are? I know some of you are in your living room, some of you are in your pajamas. Just stand, if you would, and, and we'll print it for you on the screen. Let's say it together. Now I'm gonna say now we believe instead of I believe as an expression of our corporate faith. We believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And he descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Christian Church, in the communion of saints, in the forgiveness of sins, in the resurrection of the dead, and in the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Speak what is true. But real quickly, don't be afraid to sing what is true as well. In just a moment, we're going to sing what is true. And I invite you to join us in that as soon as you're comfortable. Let your voice ring out. You, there's two things that happen here real quickly. One is that the music gets beyond our defenses speaks to our hearts, but also other people are able to hear our hearts sing. Other people are able to receive encouragement and strength and truth through the words that we sing. To speak what is true, sing what is true, but above all, live what is true. Did you see in Acts 16, as Paul and Barnabas lived out their faith, as they loved that jailer more than they loved their own freedom, as they lived out before his whole family, not just the words, not just the singing, but, but lived out their faith, then the Philippian jailer and all his family came to faith as well. They were baptized and they opened their home to become this new house church, this new expression right there in the city of Philippi of the body of Christ. Uh, God bless you over the coming weeks as you entrust the Apostles' Creed to memory. We don't, we don't revere the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed just points us to the scriptures. I'm not gonna preach the Apostles' Creed. I'm gonna preach the scriptures 
and use the Apostles' Creed as, as a point-by-point -point basis to, to reveal the truths of God. The Apostles' Creed summarizes what we believe. Let me ask you a question. What do you believe today? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again. Rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe. I believe. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. In this time of desperation When all we know is doubt and fear There is only one foundation We believe, we believe And he's coming back again. 
that the lost be found and the dead be raised in the here and now that love invade that the church live loud our god will say we believe we believe and the gates of hell will not prevail for the power of god has torn the veil now we know your love will never fail we believe we believe we believe in god the father we believe in jesus christ we believe in the holy spirit and he's given us new life we believe in the crucifixion we believe that he conquered death we believe in the resurrection and he's coming back he's coming back again he's coming back again we believe we believe well thank you so much for joining us today what a privilege again to be together let's love each other i know we can't be together but but let's make connections let's call each other let's send each other notes let's risk opening ourselves if we have needs so that the body of christ can be the body of christ together and i'm going to pull my my benediction today from that that amazing small book uh, which we began with today the book of Jude. You'll find the book of Jude right before the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Here's what, here's what uh, Jude says to you and to me as he closes his little book. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God and wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that's stained by our flesh. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Have an amazing week in Jesus, and we'll see you next week.